When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. New York City and Los Angeles, you are in luck. Kevin has three upcoming live shows in July and August that you do not want to miss. First, Kevin will be recording back-to-back episodes at Union Hall in Brooklyn on July 7th and 8th. Then, on August 5th, Kevin heads to the West Coast for his first-ever show at Largo at the Coronet. Many, many amazing guests will be joining Kevin for both shows, so please follow at Forever Dog Team on Twitter for the latest guest updates. You can get tickets for these shows at foreverdogpodcasts.com, unionhallnyc.com, and www.largo-la.com. Now, please enjoy Kevin's interview with the brilliant, the badass, Susanna Hoffs. I just decided we've started. <laughs> I'm, I'm good with that. And before I say who we are to everybody, I, I think it's going to be like an auto, I can't pronounce this word, an autobiographical. I'm going to go, like, go in order from beginning. Um, oh, that's to, good. Yeah, because I'm anal and I like, uh, I like rhyme and reason. I like rhyme and reason. The two R's. Yeah. <laughs> two R's are good. Uh, this is Kevin McDonald. And this you're listening to the Kevin, what's it called? Is there a done it? I don't even know. <laughs> I, you can decide now. You know, I don't even know right if there's here. a done kids in the hall. We fought about it for years. I, I always thought there was the kids in the hall, but I was outvoted and we decided like when we're old men in our 40s that it was always kids in the hall. And you know what? I never knew if it was the Bangles or Bangles. And weirdly, I always wanted it to be the Bangles because the Beatles. Yes. You know, and or the Rolling Stones. But you just, I think it's both. I, I found that it's it's a hard question to You know what, by the way, this is Susanna Hoffs from the Bad Bangles. <laughs> yes, it is me. But I have the same thing, the, I grew up in the, uh, like, the Beatles. In the age of the. The, and even comedy, like uh, Charlie Chaplin, the carpenter, the handyman. Right. Like, the, the, that to me is like, um, a man. I'm and, a Chaplin fan, by the way. I love Chaplin, but I like Buster Keenan a little bit. I love him too. I am, mm. Dave and I talk about Buster Keenan. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I've introduced you, right? Yeah, I mean, I've been <laughs> Susanna introduced. Susanna Hobbs of the Bengals. Done. We got that over with. And uh, I'm very excited. To, uh, the, no, that sounded insincere. I'm super excited. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I was scream. Check, check. One, two. Is this working? Is this all? It, it, went, it went very. Yeah. No, it's all good. I'm about to do the first kitchen in the hall joke we ever did. Is this working? I know I am. First, and they can laugh. It doesn't have to get a laugh to be legally a joke. It doesn't have to get a laugh. Okay, it, there's so many weird things happening because you've talked about the the thing yeah, yeah. and the checking the mic thing. Yes. That's the first thing I did when I met Vicky and Debbie. And I'm getting out of order here. But no, that's fine. They came over to my garage. We met through an ad. And I went up to the mic and I went, is this on? And they started laughing at me because... <laughs> That was just something a very green person would do. So you weren't uh, being funny. You were like, Ashley. Oh, no. I was like, is this on? That I did that. Well, this is one of my questions. I'll explore this more. How did you get to that garage? You didn't know them until you got to the garage? Like, were you, did they invite these two strangers? It was my garage. garage? It was your garage. It was my garage. So how did they get to your garage? They got to my garage because I had placed an ad in the LA Recycler newspaper. I remember that. Is that still around? I actually think it is. It's probably, there's probably an, the online version of it. I'm not sure. I'm so sorry for interrupting you. Please keep No, going. it was kind of the Craigslist of its time. Yes. But pre-internet, pre-all of that, pre-personal computers. So it was, uh, I think it was in 1980, end of December 1980, I'd placed this ad. And um, and I was also very actively seeking musicians through through the same uh, LA, LA Recycler magazine. And I called an ad that piqued my curiosity, and Vicki Peterson answered the phone. She wasn't the person who had placed the ad. Her roommate had placed the ad. This roommate had just been fired from the band <laughs> that Vicki and Debbie had been doing for, I don't know, six months or a year. So she was answering ads. She, she, she was answering the phone just at the moment I was trying to reach the girl who had placed an ad. Right. Um, and we got to talking, and I thought, wow, we really had tremendous connection, but I, she didn't feel comfortable you know, kind of stepping on the roommate who had played... It's such a convoluted story. The person who had placed the I ads, love convoluted stories. Okay, so it's super convoluted. But she didn't feel it was proper for her to say, hey, what about you and me getting together? Uh-huh. Ultimately, I think I may... I finally did speak with the roommate. 
I felt no connection. I felt so much connection with Vicky. I think I ended up calling her back. I'm, I'm, not, I'm sure I did. And that's how we, we okay. connected. Okay, so they come to the garage. Um, now and, then, your, and then I invite them to the garage. Uh, you invite yeah. them to the garage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to your garage. Uh, is it like your family, parents' garage? Yeah, or do you have a whole I was, house I was home. There, no, there was a house. I okay. had just graduated from UC Berkeley. I had just come back. Um, and I was I was sort of living in the garage in L.A. because the weather is good enough that you don't have to park your cars in the garage. They become sort of the rumpus room. Oh, right. Are we picking up the applause? I, I love a rumpus. A good rumpus room. So I was uh, 28. So I realized rumpus was a, had a peen and not a bee. I mean, oh, really? <laughs> I'm sorry. Keep going. No. Please. So I invited them over and they showed up with their instruments. Debbie came with some drums. Vicky came with a guitar. We went. And we set up some microphones. I went, they laughed. Then (laughs) we said, well, what should we play? And I don't know who suggested it, but White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane, which I didn't know. I'd never played that. And when you listen to that song, it sounds really complicated somehow. But it's actually only two chords. That's what I thought. It's only two chords. I swear to God, I thought that. But it has, but I don't know why to me there was something in the, the chords are unusual together. It's an unusual well, they sound chord the, progression. The, there's an odd sound of, of the two? song. Yeah. yeah, and it's like seems sophisticated and kind of psychedelic, and yeah, and it's a really interesting song. So I was so impressed that they taught me how to play it. We started playing it. I'm I'm not kidding, but we sounded like a band. And my parents had a house guest who was in the. We were in the garage. They were in the main house, and they were listening in. And they, this woman came down and said, "Wait, you guys just met an hour ago?" And I said, "Yeah." And anyway, that night, literally that night, I'm using literally in the literal <laughs> sense. In the real sense. We, Kids nowadays don't use literally. No. Right? Yes. We came, after we played White Rabbit and we shared some other like cassette tapes of stuff we had done, um, we decided to be a band that night. Oh my God. Which was sort of like running off to, you know, an Elvis chapel and, <laughs> you know, and getting married the night you meet someone in a bar or something, you were, know? Were you already harmonizing? Yeah, we were already harmonizing. But I have to say, Vicky and Debbie, they're sisters, so they have the magical right. sister the blend. The Everly Brothers sibling. They've got uh, the sibling magic. Yes. They just came right in and, they, and with harmonies, and our three voices together just made a thing that was very obvious to all of us and the house guests. Yeah, and the house guests. Yeah. Who would be over to your left if yeah, they were here? Yeah, right there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, are you picturing it right now that you're in the garage and really much to the left? It, I'm picturing because if you're in the garage, the, the, yeah, the house. That's what I do all the time when I'm telling stories. I divorce my wife and I point to where I divorce. I'm so excited. Um, like chemistry, even in harmonizing, it's like a relationship, right? Like yeah. uh, even though everyone has a good voice, you sound differently. than Like if that other roommate had come, maybe you wouldn't have sounded... Um, no, uh, no, yeah, no. It's very specific. And I kind of think that's... Sort of what you discover when you work with people, collaborate with people. I'm sure it's true in improv comedy and other things. There's a kind of yeah. resonance that happens or a connection or finishing each other's thoughts or adding Absolutely. yes ending in a certain way, whatever. It's similar in music. But yes ending. That's good. Yes good ending. <laughs> yes, uh, I think the version of harmony and comedy, uh, like Dave Foley and I can um, uh, sort of read each other's minds. Not in real life. But on stage, I sort of know where he's going, and that's probably the closest. That's let's call that comedy harmony. Yeah, I like it. Comedy harmony. All right. So the grad, we're gonna use that as a centerpiece of this interview. Let's yes. flash back. What did you graduate from in Berkeley? Uh, was it music or was it something else? And what made you decide to not become whatever it is you graduated from? I was in art. I graduated in art. I changed majors from theater and dance halfway through. In a very dramatic way. So you were way. figuring it out. Sorry, I'm pointing at you. figuring My mother it out. hated when I pointed at her. I'm <laughs> no, so no, sorry. I'm okay with it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I was figuring it out. I started out in the theater dance department. I, I drifted towards dance because I had studied ballet very seriously as a, as a little girl and jazz. And I took jazz. And then at Berkeley, it was modern. It was Martha Graham. It was very strict, um, very specific kind of oh, yes. modern. Um, my partner, uh, my partner, my partner is a modern partner. My, my partner is a modern dancer. I'm sorry for interrupting. Oh, so you know. Yeah. I know. So yeah. It's a really, it's really amazing. It's about ideas, it's, body following the ideas. Yeah. So and it's like, about architecture yeah. and, and Martha Graham. If your partner was here, I, we could be doing Martha yes. Graham. It's all like, <laughs> it's all very fitting with, with the zeitgeist of the time that it was done in, you know, yes. like it fits that uh, it's all, like you say, it's all conceptual and idea driven. 
Um, so, but I, it was right at the time when punk rock was happening. So I was living in Berkeley, which is a very vibrant place. And though it was the seventies, it still had a, a great lot of the flavor of the sixties still going on. And Berkeley still does, by the way. Yeah. I was it's gonna, never changed. I was going to say, doesn't it still? I, was it gonna, does. I swear to God, I was so going to say So if that. you're on Telegraph Avenue, there's record stores. <gasps> Telegraph Avenue. Oh my God. Right. So, so that was my world. And it, it's sort of the influence of, of, the culture of Berkeley, which was still the 60s, and the fact that, you know, internet hadn't happened, so we were buying albums like kids are doing now, like my own kids buy albums again. And I was, I was very much caught up in the combination of the 60s music that was still very alive in the scene in Berkeley and the punk rock mu- music scene that was exploding in San Francisco at the exact course, same time. right. Meanwhile, you still have the Who and Zeppelin and, you know, the sort of rock god thing going on. But it was like this exciting moment where you felt this kind of tectonic change in the culture with the punk rock going on. And that just sort of ripped me out of the theater dance thing and into wanting to start a band. And I, I, I put together a kind of first band with David Roback who went on to do the Rain Parade, which was part of oh, the right. L.A. Paisley Underground thing, but then right. later did Mazzy Star. Oh, which wow. Which is a very cool alternative. I saw pop. them open for somebody. Was it the Dream Syndicate? I yeah, saw them open. probably. I saw them But they, uh, Sorry, uh, right. Fade Into You was this big massive yes. hit that they had that's been in a million movies. But anyway, so I kind of left in this very dramatic way the dance department. They weren't happy with me. And I became, I, I switched to art. God, I'm making this story so long. I love this story. Really? Make it longer. Okay, so then I became a, like, a physic, like an artist, a painter, sculptor. Right. Oh, that's right, because yeah. you graduated in art. You said that's right. I, so I gra- so I left theater dance, and did I graduated well, the same with thing. an art? It's the, all the, the modern same. art and modern dance, it's all the uh, same. like say conceptualizing. Um, that's really what the band doing the bangles, starting wanting to come back to L.A. and putting it all together, and wanting to have a band was, oops, was like was my art project. Right. It was all the study of dance, theater, literature, and painting, sculpture, right. film. All of it came together in this band for me. That was the way I, I you know, I read saw the, it. I read this once, or am I making this up? Am I lying? Or did I read once that you saw the last Sex Pistols concert? I ever? did. So many people were there. Belinda Carlisle, who I work with sometimes, we do. She we, was there. We do, she was there that night. It was. Uh, was it by Berkeley or was it down? No, it was in. LA? It was in at Winter. <coughs> it was at Winterland, the famous oh, venue, right, right, iconic venue with the great posters in San Francisco. And was that the aha uh, uh, movement? That uh, the the aha moment where you go, I, this is what I want to do, or you? I, I um, decide- it, well, it was. Uh, it, uh, there wasn't necessarily a single aha moment. It was more this confluence of all this study of art and living in Berkeley for those years and then coming home to LA, trying to do a band with David Roback, realizing right. that we were a couple also. So that didn't work out. So the, the whole ABBA thing, we right. can just call it the ABBA syndrome. Were they both couples the in, Fleetwood in Mac, I think, you know, it's like difficult. <laughs> and Hart, uh, the guitarist, uh, there's a famous footage where, where um, she's, uh, Anne's put up with him and was dating the drummer. Oh, I didn't know that. He, I didn't see that. And he breaks that. his guitar oh, and the Oh, see, you see what happens? Yeah. It's complicated. So it is complicated. So that became complicated and that's when I started to go see all the club stuff going on. This is like uh, ah. summer of 1980. What a great time. Like, yeah. Uh, like, summer of 1980. Both LA and San Francisco. What a all great time. All of it, yeah. What were the Sex Pistols like? Did they play, could they play their instruments? Because I know in the album, it sounds like they could play their instruments, but it wasn't the same players. Oh, they were great. It? Were they really Oh my good? God, it was the original guys. Wow. So Winterland had been, it was all wood on the inside, just very classic old, big venue with right. a floor. I was on this, I was up, I wasn't on the floor because I would have just been trampled. Um, uh, but it was incredible. I mean, honestly, they just sounded so good. So could, tight. Could Sid play bass by then? I think so. To me, it sounded like <laughs> beautiful noise. Beautiful noise. Beautiful noise, but about something. Yeah. It was, they were passionate. I was 16 when Sex Pistols came out. And I always think there's two great rock and roll years to be 16. My mother was 16 when Elvis started. And I was 16 when punk rock and Sex Pistols started. Those are two See? great years, I think. And and but when I heard it, I thought uh, I, people warned me that it was going to blow my mind and be wild. And I loved it right away. But I loved it because it was to me faster Chuck Berry. 
Yeah. But but, but the lyrics it about something. It had a simplicity and a real straightforwardness to it. But with the, like amazing lyrics, though Chuck Berry also wrote amazing lyrics. I don't mean to yeah, say no, it. really clever. Brown eyed girl, like that. That's amazing. <laughs> Chuck Berry wrote great lyrics. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Uh, so, but, but but there was so much cool stuff going on. It was the Ramones. It was Blondie. I remember my brother had gone off to Yale and I had gone off to Berkeley, and he came home. It was like that scene from uh-huh. Almost Famous, but not quite, but where the, the older sibling just presents, and I present to you, <laughs> television, the Blondie, the Ramones. Talking Heads, maybe? The Talking Heads. We went to see the Talking Heads at their first show in LA at the Whiskey. Oh my God, you I saw the Sex there. Pistols last, you saw Talking Heads I first. I saw the Talking huh? Heads there. I wow. probably have the ticket stub. <laughs> and, and I just looked up at Tina Weymouth, and she was so cool playing the bass it was all so it was like everything it wasn't just the sex pistols it was like a revolution going on when did you learn your first instrument was it guitar oh oh, yeah 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 (coughs) like as a kid what's your first uh, musical memory what's the first time you thought you wanted to i'm asking 14 questions at once you could pick the question that you want to answer Mm. Uh, what was your first instrument um how old were you when you got it what made you want to get it oh well my first instrument was probably singing my voice for sure i mean i i was singing from like my mother says from the crib. I mean, I just always, I was one of those kids and I see it now in other people's kids that kind of light up in that way that kids can light up where everything stops when they hear music. Like I always had a very intense reaction to music just from childhood, early, early childhood. And if you believe my mother from in the crib and she would be playing music my mother was always playing music so you knew you were a musical it wasn't uh, oh I love music I want to be in a band oh by coincidence a musical no no I was already doing school plays Mm. I was doing ballet dancing I was in musical theater I was and then I got a guitar probably uh, well I have pictures of myself when I was like seven wow with a guitar because my uncle played guitar and he taught me. I was about to say did you teach yourself? Um, I my uncle taught me at first and then you know it was the meaning of folk music, we folk, we were folksy folks and teaching each other. <laughs> right. Kids would sit down on the playground in elementary school and go, oh, that's that chord. Right. You know, oh, that's how you play I'm a Believer. <laughs> and that's how you play. Wish you were here. That's what I. You know? Think. Yeah. But that's, uh, a, like, that's a popular Who one. taught you like solos and riffs? And well, that you figure <clears throat> out. You just, right. I'm, I don't read music, which is terrible. Um, Not many musicians do. Well. Beethoven, maybe. Beethoven definitely Beethoven. did. I don't, Elvis, for sure. I'm kidding. Elvis didn't. I don't know. But I, I just always picked everything up by ear and just the folk style. Teach me that chord. Teach me how to play. Everyone knew how to play Blackbird. Everybody right. could play the beginning of that Yes song roundabout. That sounds hard to me, like a hard yeah. pattern. It's, it's, it's easy, Blackbird? It's weird. It's really hard, but it's it's one of those things you just do. It's like learning how to do the, what is it, the cat's cradle. You know, oh, right, cat's cradle. Yeah, people do those things. That was one That's of those things. Everyone knew how to do that. Did, uh, did you have a favorite, Paul or John or George? You know what? My Beatle favorites have shifted at different periods. When I was a little Good girl, answer. it was Paul. Right, right. It was Paul. I always say the back cover of Rubber Soul was like the thing. Those pictures of them. Oh right, the, you know? the first the the front pictures the them like in the suede bands, jacket yeah, that's sort of like warped yeah. a little psychedelic, yeah. and the back cover are individual pictures, and each one of them looks so cool. So I started with Paul, and that was like my childhood one, and then in college it was John, and then it became George. And now it's, it's Ringo. Ringo. <laughs> uh, I've never seen Ringo. I should see Ringo live. I, I, I can't oh, believe I haven't seen I Ringo. I haven't either. I like Todd Rundgren. You must love Todd oh, Rundgren. Oh my God. You Obsessed must know Todd Rundgren. With Todd Rundgren. No, I'm, I don't know him, but I, that was one. The, the Something Anything Gatefold record, like, right? Do you yeah. love that record? That's that like was a perfect my, pop album. That was my summer between high school and college, and it's all I listened to. And it's one of those records that I listened to so much. That if you put it on, I can smell the summer jasmine blooming, the night blooming jasmine in wow. Santa Monica. Seriously. Like, that's a, that's it's amazing. So, isn't that weird how that's, music can time travel you someplace? And I never thought it would happen to me. I don't have a strong sense of smell, but I was playing XTC, um, uh, their album Nonsuch. Yeah. And for some reason, I started smelling cigarette smoke. I've never smoked, but my girlfriend at the time smoked. And, and you uh, could smell the cigarettes. Thinking. It was like a, like it went straight to, I, I smelled the cigarette. Oh, 
coffee. I'm so sorry. You were saying that, and I just realized I had a cup of coffee. Oh, well, that's exciting. Well, yeah, cigarettes, coffee. Cigarettes, coffee. There's yeah, a whole free association going on. And I th- yeah, that is wild. Like a like a smell for me. Mm-hmm. That's super wild. Uh, and then I, I but music the can take you places. Yeah, that's what's so crazy about it. So you're in the garage. We're gonna, that, yeah, keep we me gotta, on track, I got the We got a centerpiece. We're yeah. gonna go back and forth. This is amazing. Um, so. You said, like, by the next day, you had decided you were going to be That a night. Not even the next day. Like, three hours later. Wow. And I still know... They're still my friends. I'm still in their band. That's, we're in <laughs> there in mine. We're in a band. We created a, something. That's so amazing. Yeah. Like, the kids in horror are still together, but we're stuck with the name, the, the word kids. Like, as we get older, we're stuck oh, with calling it. Where are right. the kids, the the roadies say. We, we got to do sound check. Where are the but kids? But you're always a kid at heart, aren't you? I guess so. Comedy, music. Yep comedy music so what happened did you rehearse forever and then you uh lined up a concert uh, um well we were very do it yourself so we just and we we kind of were which was the punk eth- we, w- yes it was and we um so we made a little single 45 single we all had day jobs you made I a worked, single yeah we made a how single how could you afford that back then was that a fortune back no then? it was th- the whole single caught co- it was a ten dollar an hour studio called uh-huh. radio tokyo we all had day jobs. I worked at a ceramic factory. Vicky worked at a movie studio on the lot as like a grounds organizer. I don't know what her job was, but it was not it was <laughs> not glamour. It wasn't a glamorous job. It was right. like the uh, I forget the title, but sh- we all pooled our money, went to this really cool uh, studio in Venice called Radio Tokyo, and a guy named Ethan James, who's a great engineer, owned it. And we, um, yeah, we so we were there for. Three and a half hours, so it cost $35. Wow. Yeah, and we made our first single. And then I was very tenacious. I figured out how to get a hold of Rodney Bingenheimer, the very awesome DJ. I've seen the documentary about him. Right. I got his number, and I just called him wow. from the garage because I was living in the garage. <laughs> it all goes back to the garage. It really like you had does. a bed in there? I had a bed in there. Uh, like a fridge? I had a fridge. I had a shower. It a was fridge like and a, a microphone. Whole, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I had a standee of Debbie oh. Harry, a blondie, oh, like wow. from a record store. Yeah. Wow. And um, hi, everybody. Tim Heidecker here with huge news. We have a terrific episode of Office Hours Live prepared for you. We had the great stand-up comedian Kyle Kinane come in, and a very special in-studio music session from legendary Mdu Mokhtar. You're not going to want to miss this one. You can find it on your podcast app of choice by going to Sears or Macy's and getting an iPod and then coming home, charging it up and listening through your app. And so I just badgered Rodney, and finally he said, well, I'm DJing Monday nights at the Odyssey. Will you come down and bring me the record? And I was like, okay. And, I, and, I, and I did, I'm not making this up. He said, and will you wear a miniskirt? And I said, okay. I know. <laughs> so I showed up. I gave him the record, and then I listened to the radio, K-Rock, that Sunday. He didn't play it. K-Rock. So, of course, I called him up. Why didn't you play it? <laughs> That's, I can't imagine doing that now. Right. I can't imagine being that brazen, but I did. And he's like, oh, it, it's really good. I, it, it's kind of like the mamas and the mamas. <laughs> and I was like, exactly. You get it. Jangly guitars and three-part harmonies. So the next weekend he played it, and he played it every weekend that from then on for like a year at least. Wow. Yeah, he really helped us. Uh, Yay, for, Rodney. For second, can I ask Thank about the jangly guitars? Yeah. Uh, were you guys big Birds fans or, <gasps> or was that just the way you played by, by accident? Yeah, total, huge Birds fans. You know, the Kitchen Hall were big fans of you guys. Uh, really? Uh, we all had your first album. We all, um, uh, if you really? knew what she wants and oh going down to Liverpool. And the takes that was fall. actually our second. Well, here it takes a fall. Well, first the first album, album that I heard. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. no, no, sorry, you sorry. shouldn't know these things. Uh, and we, we had, I barely okay, remember both those albums, and we had them in the van when we did our little oh, tiny tours. And, we, and you uh, would listen to the cassettes of yeah. them because we kind of were happening at the same time. We were kind of touring around in vans at the same right. time. I would uh, guess, yeah, like I'm early sure. early mid eighties. Yes, exactly. exactly. We because we're comedy it was more like in the city, Toronto. Like we didn't oh. go very far. But jangly guitars. So it was. Did you say? Um, uh, let's sound like the birds or yes um, i oh, did I, I i i was already i already had a rickenbacker from when i was playing with david roback wow. and um yeah i i mean 
And Big Star? Was that uh, yeah, the- see, I didn't really, I started to find out about Big Star. Actually, David Roback, who I'd been in that first duo with, which we were called The Unconscious. But <laughs> no one really knows about that. Kitsunaz's but- first thing was The Audience, which is kind of pretentious. Like, we're one of you, we're The Audience. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. I never knew that. See, we're finding out stuff. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm sorry to talk about me. I'm sorry. No, uh, I want to talk about you. Big I'd rather talk about <laughs> no, you. No. Can we switch? Uh, no, no, no. Okay. When you get your podcast. Oh, I'll then I doing. discovered Big Star and it was like, oh my right. God, it's like, it was like the universe cracked open. I, I, I just couldn't, I just, what a treasure trove of stuff that I didn't know existed. Yeah, exactly. It's so great when that happens. It's, it's like, like a gift. It's like a gift. It's like, it was like a gift. And uh, yeah, David Robeck turned me on to Sid Barrett, who I didn't know right, about, right. and Big Star. And I, and I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And, and I Sid still Barrett wrote great way. melodies. Yeah. I, I've been listening a lot of Sid Barrett. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting. I'm sorry, go ahead. What no, were you going to say? No, no, I was just saying Big Star, Big Star kind of, well, they're just. Well, there uh, there were two great pop writers. And yeah. they uh, they had that indie kind of thing that, uh, like, I love the replacements. Uh, I know I they love took the a lot of Big Star. Too. I love the kind of pop uh, rock music, the pop rock music. I sound like an 80-year-old. The pop rock music um, where it sounds like the band's about to split up halfway through the song. Yeah. Like the, there's like there's polish to it and they're trying to harmonize, but there's that edge that they may not like each other. I think that's, I think that's sort of <laughs> essential in yes. some way. And it's just like families. Yeah, so exactly. It's just right? like families, sorry. And it has to be like organic. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's exactly. a thing. It's there like, is a weird tension. And I think you're right, and no one's ever said it quite like you just did, but I think the fact that you can intuit it and sense it and hear it yes, is what makes it so compelling. I mean, when you think about it. And Big Star was the first sort of group that said, maybe Velvet Underground, but that was oh, kind yeah, of they like... they had it too. They, they had it too, but maybe they, they worked on it more. I don't know if that's true. I don't know, but it's that thing of just mismatched personalities yeah. in some way coming together well, sure. and like offering Lou Reed up and their John thing. Kale not like having fun with each other and and it shows yeah, you, up in a perfect pop song. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I mean I really had fun cutting flashing way forward when I started working with Matthew Sweet to the fact that it's the it's on, my list. <laughs> it's on your list that and we'll go back in to the timeline but yeah. the fact that I love this. That, it's a French that, movie now. We're jumping back and forth. Sorry Matthew Sweet. Yeah, sorry. yeah, it is very French movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was so happy to hear your podcast with Mike when he talked about Cassavetes and Truffaut. Yes. By the way, I was just listening to it with Jay. I listened to it and then I listened to it with Jay, my husband, who who's worked with Mike on Austin Powers. He but, told me a very nice thing about Jay after the uh, when we went to the bar afterwards. Uh, and yeah, I'm sorry for cutting you off. Please no, remember no, no. what you're going to say. And I was still in interview mode, so I was like interviewing yeah. him. And I said, um, uh, when you were doing Austin Powers, and, and uh, there's so much pressure on you. The kids in the hall, we weren't a big success. We had no pressure on us, but we were never lonely. Were you ever lonely? He said, no. He said, uh, Jay was my troop. Aww. He said, we were like, we had each other's backs and we were like that's partners. Nice. I'm so tired. I almost started crying. Aww, <laughs> so, I'm so, so tired. When I'm tired, I start crying a lot. You mean you're right? You're tired now? Yeah, I'm tired You almost now. just cu- cried now? Yeah, you're t- I, I your just eyes, cried now. Listeners, his water, eyes, water are, in my eyes are like getting very glowing I'm and luminous. I'm putting it to the mic. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry, what were you saying? I cut you off. I was saying... We were flashing side. forward to working Matthew with Matthew. Matthew right. Sweet, yes. One of the things that was so fun about working with Matthew is that kind of a little bit to your thing about hearing the kind of tension of things going on on, an, on a recording. Yes. Which kind of makes it more interesting. I really felt that working with Matthew too. After having so much of that within the Bangles world and right. experience, then to experience that with Matthew, and I think that's why people really that. like those albums that we did. Of course, they were covers, so for us, it was kids in a candy store going, yeah. "Oh, let's do this, let's do this, let's do that," and having a good time. But there's a kind, there's something about this sort of rub of it, like two things that don't quite go together. Right. He, he and I, but then they do somehow. They're great albums. Yeah, thank you. And was it easy harmonizing with them? Oh, so easy. And then it got to be a thing where it was like, uh, he would just send me stuff and he helped me construct a studio that was the sort of the uh, alternative studio to his because I started to get lazy about driving to his house all the time. I was right. like, okay, I want to work in my pajamas right. at my house. <laughs> right, right. So I would love that. So yeah, so and then I would just go crazy and just invent 
20 tracks of vocals and send them to him. And he, he said it was like opening up a mystery package and going, what did she do? <laughs> so we started like basically mailing each other stuff. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. After having spent a lot of time in the room together, and of course, right. we did most of it in a room together. But yeah, it was just really, really fun working with Matthew. Now, songwriting. Um, I always think about Bob Dylan. He wanted to be like Woody Guthrie. And he got a guitar and he wanted to be famous. And and just by a coincidence, he was a good songwriter. When did you know you were a good songwriter? Oh, I don't know that I know. Oh, <laughs> I think songwriting is really hard and hard to figure out when it happens and how it happens and why it happens the way it does. I've mostly written with other people. So, so much of my songwriting memories is about that fun interaction and right. what what we were talking about that day. I mean, with Eternal Flame, I was writing with Billy Steinberg and I was just talking to him about the Bangles visiting Graceland, doing our oh, pilgrimage to Graceland. Right. That's what it's about, sort of, right? Or that's what started? Well, it was the starting point. So you just never know. And so we had, we had done the tour. We had been on the... Uh, taking care of business in a flash logo was on the Lisa Marie plane. <laughs> it was like the gold plated uh, sinks and the, the the king size bed on the plane and the uh, love me tender conditioner that I bought <laughs> and all this stuff. I was recounting that we had gone to the the, the grave site. I right. guess you call it the little um, memorial. Right. And there was an eternal flame there the day we were there and we hovered around and we were doing right. our spinal tap moment and we were doing... Right. Too much fucking perspective. We were Okay. <laughs> and we were singing, you know, whatever song they were singing out of tune right. like they yeah, were. Since it was Since My Baby Left Me yeah, and they're like... It sounds ragga. I'm yeah, sorry. All yeah. that. We were, <laughs> we were actually doing that and then we noticed that the flame was out. It was drizzling. Huh? And so it was this eternal flame that was not on. Wow. So it wasn't really... Right, being eternal, no, and I just was telling <laughs> neither. Um, and we and I mentioned it to Billy, and he just went, "That we should write a song called that." Oh my god! Yeah, that happens in comedy. I tell uh, Dave Foley a horrible thing about my life, and he says, uh, "You know, that's a sketch." Right. Uh, so, so that's how that. So, so that's even though it's what like I, a, it's a love song. You, you, you got the idea. Started from the visit to Graceland. That was the number one song, right? Yeah. Can I ask you this? It's an impossible question to answer. So to say it's impossible, and I know does it, success doesn't change anyone's life, but specifically, was it? A, what does it feel like to have a number one song? What does it feel like? Like when you're like wake up in the morning, do you feel different? At least for a few weeks, like and you've had a few number one songs. Yeah, the first one was um, well, Manic Monday was two, but that's, that's, that was early on, and then we had Walk Like an Egyptian, which was number and one. That was that one. It was because we had been working and working van tours, opening act almost always we still weren't really headlining that much really i can recall it, after manic monday uh no we were still like manic monday we were it was really rough we were roughing it like for a very very long time it's things huh. started to change but it changed very slowly for us and we we weren't seeing any financial aspect it was such a story it wasn't reaching says, us so you know we were yeah. just working 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 wow. touring 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 right and then when but i do remember when walk like an egyptian went to, egyptian went to number one we were in san remo for the san remo festival in italy wow and we had our first moment and it was so la dolce vita to have it happen <laughs> in italy right. in this beautiful resort area uh by the sea and just the flash bulbs going off and we're like what's happening because we still had no money we were still worrying about right. how to pay rent and things and like you know we were roughing it still and that was happening so there mind. was that that sort of false, that contrast. false idea that you know they have a number one song they're flying around in private jets and right. you know getting clothes delivered to the door <laughs> fancy things we never by the way ever had that no? the bangles were always thrift thrift store shoppers I, I would have guessed that you know driving clunky old cars. So your clothes never... look amazing in the videos. Your clothes look... Mm, I don't know. Now I look back and I'm like cringing at it. But but that's okay. That's part of the 80s. That was the 80s, that's exactly. That's the 80s look. You, you weren't like... Uh, when you look at all... If you put all the 80s videos together, you're not as 80s as the other 80s videos. Right. I would we say. didn't do the flock of seagulls hair. Yes. Thing. Although when we were on tour with Cindy Lauper, which was one of our first big tours, it was the English beat. Oh! That's when we first went to Toronto. Really? And we played the Masonic Temple? Is that what's I was there! You were there? I was there! <laughs> That's, That's awesome. when I saw you! Really? I, was up. I just, I forgot that I saw you. I'm sorry, I'm excited. I, I was there! And you know what happened when we were there? What? Oh, that was such a great gig. 
That was a good because I remember all, enjoying it because the, all the rest of that I've seen tour, you live. That's right. I forgot. Oh my god, you were there. I forgot. I say English beat. So that was said. like 82, 83. Yes. So like we were opening for the English beat, which is just the most the greatest tour to be on. But every dime from our wallets was stolen from the dressing room there. It wasn't me, I swear to God. I know it wasn't you. I I've know spit it all over you. my head now, and I know I look like a guy no, that did it, but I, I did No, no. Um, but, but again, a contrast. You're having a great concert. Yeah, but, we, but that was where we started to feel... Sonic we Temple. felt like it was a good gig, because there were other gigs where we opened for the English Beat where, I mean, I, got, I was getting hit in the head with like milk cartons and you know i came off stage with gum in my hair that you know we were just their fans are sort of i mean it's they the were diehards yeah yeah but but sort of different music mm-hmm. oh yeah we were getting you know that's not like they're heavy metal band with those kind no, of no but they just they who are these what is this band we don't want to hear them bring right. on the you know so it was trial by fire that's where we learned our <laughs> we just played everything really fast are you one of those people that remember like every city, every concert, what the name of the theater is? No, I'm absolutely not. But the, the, but that the city in Toronto times. and then being on tour with Cindy, it goes back to your haircut 80s comment. Yes. When we were on with Cindy Lauper, when our first record had come out, and we, we did our first Letterman thing right around that time, but she was really hell-bent on cutting all our hair in these really kind of weird 80s like, like her herself shave, or have her people do it half the, and yeah. I just kept avoiding it and avoiding it she'd come she was literally coming like do it together. herself do yeah, it no herself. no herself yeah she wa- I mean she really wanted to style us and cut our hair <laughs> she was also giving us other like little cool words of wisdom like steaming she would she would say you have to have a pot and she would have this pot with water and she'd steam her voice every night i always think uh, her skin looked great i wonder if that uh, helped her skin. it helped her skin <laughs> and her she would she was such i mean she is such an unbelievably amazing singer i would just stand at the side of the stage and watch you know just so much soul. one great thing about about having had this thing happen this bangles thing happened in the 80s how many gigs where we were opening for people that i watched from the side of the stage like queen we opened for queen oh my god at slain castle in ireland and i will never forget watching Freddie Mercury work that crowd, sing that way. And I was on Brian May's side of the stage. It was like those moments for me are are almost more memorable than (laughs) our own on stage. I wish I'd seen them. And then now, were there any opening bands that you knew were going to make it and made it? Like when you were the headliner, um, your own opening bands. I'm trying to remember. Um, we just always tried to get opening bands that we loved. So you had to say in it, like you always do. Um, not always. Well, yeah, when it was our tours, I think we, we mostly did. We had the Hoodoo Gurus. We had... I love the uh, Hoodoo Gurus. E-I-E-I-O. We had... Uh, I'm trying to remember who else. Cutting Crew, which I don't think was your tour. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Cutting Crew. <laughs> They're from Australia, right? They, yeah, they're What's a great so song great. with the, the, oh, the single? The, uh, Bittersweet was a good one. That's um, a good one. Uh, the, the single in Canada. It was, I'll remember. I'll scream it later and I'll scare everybody when I remember yeah. and I'll scream Oh, we used apologize. to do Much Music. Oh, yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Much Music. It's our yeah. MTV. And I remember seeing you guys on that. Yeah. And you were interviewed a lot. I'm trying to think, who was the, uh, who was the interviewer? I don't know. Eric we were on it a bunch. Yeah, that's true. I, I feel like... Because you would, do, you would do the circuit. That was part of it. Did you ever play Maple Leaf Gardens? I think we may have, but not not as a headliner. I don't uh, think we played it um, outside, like an amusement park. Yep. The last Wonderland. time we played there, we played there. Wonderland, yeah. In '89, I saw the replacements open for Tom Petty. You there, have to take a weird. little boat to get to the yep. thing. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah, I'm, it. I'm recalling it. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. Wonderland. Um, how did so? Um, we're, we're a French movie back and forth. Um, you guys have a first single. Um, oh yeah now how did you go from that I know there's a lot of steps in between but I want to hear them all because I'm excited about everything how did you get to a major was it Columbia how yeah did you get to a major they were the record? only one that wanted us but you know what but it only Columbia. takes one yeah but and it was Columbia and it was I mean Columbia. they had freaking Bob Dylan and Simon and Garfunkel I was going to say that uh, all this great stuff but how did that happen take me through every step oh um okay so we were playing um Magic Mountain in, in yes. uh, here in uh, just north of LA, and um, this really fantastic A and R guy named Peter Philbin, who worked with Peter uh, Peter Philbin, who worked with Bruce Springsteen, right, brings Bruce Springsteen to see us at, at you know what's it called? <laughs> I just forgot that Six Flags. Six Flags, right, right, right. Six Flags, and it's it's the this little cement little amphitheater. It's it's not a big 
big stage or anything. Right. And it was, uh, yeah, he came to see us. And he kind of gave the thumbs up or something because wow. we got signed right after that. So Bruce Springsteen indirectly vetted us. Help vet <laughs> he vetted us. And when he got the uh, Music Cares thing, I, I, I was at Judd Apatow's table. He invited Jay... We us to to the event, and he's he got this. He's such a Springsteen fan, and I got to take. I said, "Let me introduce you. Let me. You got me this incredible seat at this table wow. at your table. <laughs> seat at your table, and yeah. let me please have the honor of introducing you to Bruce. So I hadn't talked to him since the '80s, and I reintroduced myself, and he remembered me and stuff. But I was mostly like, "Here's Chad Apatow." Wow, we. He likes all different kinds of music, which is neat. Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. yeah. Like, isn't Suicide his favorite band of all oh, time? I don't know. I don't I know. I think I read that somewhere that is uh, maybe he's just saying that. But I'm sure he loves them. I, I don't know. So, um, because of that, Columbia, why were well, they? Well, I don't Apple? know if that was the, the thing that pushed us, you know, over the, you know, to be signed. But, but, uh, but Peter I do excited. I do know that, you know, Bruce gave us a thumbs up and. But then next thing I knew is we were found out we were getting signed. Okay, so it's your first album. Do you have the songs already uh, to go? Or? Pretty much. Well, we were writing to order a little bit too. Like I remember we we were introduced to David Kahn, who ended up producing right. uh, the next two albums, and um, all our songs had this kind of what he called like a cow beat. They were all like <laughs> dun, 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 like that. So everything was like uh, this other kind of time signature i don't want to get it wrong but a different kind of rhythm he said you guys need a song in that rhythm so vicky and i sat down in the garage in the garage you saw the garage yeah without guitars and we were just doing this kind of rhythm you know oh really yeah and because we everything else was like must change the song it must change the songs yeah no so we were trying to write to that we had my you know oxford book of poetry (laughs) there as an inspiration and we had all these (laughs) <laughs> academic books lying around and we wrote hero takes a fall that day oh i see so you got the beat then you wrote the songs yeah we we wrote yeah. hero takes a fall to that beat to right. that rhythm right i want to ask you some of some songs one by one that's one of them so that's already the yeah, story we're of that sitting song. in the garage yeah we wrote it like that Reco- about recording that one that go easy yeah i think so I'm trying. I remember it was a studio. And not every story is an amusing anecdote. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, but that was the song that Prince heard. That oh. that that Prince used to come on stage and 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 he would just solo on that song in this unbelievable way. Yeah. Like when on your stage when you were performing? on our stage. So That's how knew- we met Prince. Wow. He so saw that before. video on MTV, and then he found out about the Bangles, and it was the, that uh, all over the place came out a month before per- the Purple Rain album. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that summer. I lived with Gary and Frank. We, it was we, like eighty four. We played both say. albums a, a yeah. lot. Um, so that's my Manic Monday. Then uh, did he did, had he written that? And he thought it'd be perfect for you, or yes, did he write I it think for he had, you? No, I think he had written it, and then he he gave it to us uh, when we were making our second album because we were using David Leonard. There was a couple David David and Peggy Leonard that are fantastic talented engineers and they had worked at paisley park with prince for years right. and so w- david was working with us and peggy was working with prince and we were at sunset sound factory which was the small sister studio of sunset sound prince was at sunset sound so right. we just got word from peggy to david to me oh he has a song for you guys and i drove over and i picked up and i still have the actual cassette oh my god yeah oh my i remember matthew sweetie wrote a song it. for him, our, our movie kitchen all brain candy <gasps> And he, right. was a, he was playing at a festival in Toronto, and he was about to go on stage, and we got backstage. I, I think we had a sneak backstage. Nobody knew who we were. And he was driving around in a golf cart, and he had the tape of the song for oh. us. And he gave it to him. So Manic Monday. Yeah. Um, uh, my favorite Bango song, uh, I love Jill Shears. If oh, you me know what too. She wants. What's, is there a story behind that? No, just that we, we were going to do a couple songs, uh, covers on the record. And I remember sitting in David Kahn's office and at Columbia and listening to several songs that ended up on the record. One was Walk Like an Egyptian, a demo of that. Another was If She Knew What She Wants, and then there was um, September Girls. Big so star. those were the covers. Big that, star spelled yeah. with a U. Girls yeah. spelled with a U. Well, we did. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Wow. And, like, and to this day, when we write each other emails, Vicky, Debbie, and I, we often sign. We say, hey, girls. Oh. We spell it that way. I almost started crying again. I'm, oh, I no, God. he is. It's kind of tired. But, uh, it's so... but the emotion's real. Okay, good. <laughs> um, 
one of my all-time favorite videos. By the way, I'm not lying about anything. Oh, good. Uh, is uh, going into Liverpool. Like it's, uh, uh, who, first of all, whose concept was it? Well, my mom directed that. Did she really? Yeah. I know she's a director. I didn't yeah. know that. And so I, I she grew up, That's yeah, a great she, video. Yeah. And so I, I called Leonard Nimoy because... I, he was we a friend of up, the family Yeah. We grew up with, with Adam and Julie. And Adam's still my brother's best friend to this what? day. Yeah. And um, it looks just like Leonard. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was just a low budget, you know, thing. And I called Leonard and said, I hate to ask to be the one to ask this, but would you mind being in our video? And he was so agreeable. But, but Isn't that, that amazing that he said so yes? It's so amazing. Because remember, doesn't, I could be wrong, but doesn't the video start with a close-up of his yeah. face? And then you you sort of think you know who he is, then he takes off his sunglasses yeah, yeah. and you go, oh my God, that's Leonard Nimoy. Exactly. And, but who thought of the concept? You're just in a car. You seem to be having a crush on him. Uh, yeah, I, don't know, or is that I haven't way I read seen it? it in years. And the, um, but the best part, the like my, one of the uh, video moments ever is when he turns the uh, the song off. And the song off, stops. It stops, and then she puts it back on. Really, yeah, yeah. And, Vicky puts it Vicky back puts on. It, <laughs> she's like, uh. like who thought of that? I don't remember. I think probably we just had a video meeting, <laughs> you know, where we would bounce ideas around. That's like that's. Uh, I mean, honestly, isn't that one of the best videos in the 80s? I Am I know. making that I, up? I, I, think that, I, don't, <laughs> I, think I don't, I haven't watched our videos in a very long time, but um, it might be, but I don't, I don't know. I'm always, I have trouble watching. Now, you're very things. famous in videos, uh, walking like Egyptian, but a lot of videos, the sideways look. I remember, I remember us like walking around Toronto going, wow, that's a great sideways look. <laughs> was it something you planned or is it just? No, that uh, wasn't, that wasn't something I planned. Part of it was that we filmed D- uh, Gary Weiss, who had done a lot of SNL uh, short films in the 80s. He was the director of uh, the Walk Like an Egyptian video. And, he, and it was a two-day shoot, which was a big deal for us. Wow. That was felt very big. So he said one of the days he was just going to go around the city and and film people. Oh, right. You could did. tell they're really like laughing and they're yeah, doing it. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah. second day, I think it was, he was going to film for radio contest winners. We had it. We just, it was like in a warehouse or something. We were just going to lip sync or we play play a short actual live set of like five songs and then start filming warm up the crowd and then film the song and i was i, w- I was in the habit of find instead of singing with my eyes closed or singing just to a fixed point on a wall somewhere i always would find a few people to sing to in the audience so there was I would typically find someone to my left, someone to my right, and someone in the middle, huh. just to kind of have people that, and they would they would sometimes freak out. People really? to, well, because when you actually look at someone in an audience and sing to them, it's like it's oh, kind of, of exciting to them because they don't. A lot of times they don't even think you're really seeing them. Right. It's strange, yeah. but it's kind of fun because you're like, "Hey, friend, hey, friend," <laughs> and you, friend over there, I'm gonna just have you as like. Like a little security blanket. We're going to have a little fun at this show. So I had sort of picked a person and I picked a person over there and I just kind of looked at them and the camera was on a long lens, but it was like way, way back. So I didn't know that I was in close up. Wow. So yeah. it was just a chance thing. Yeah. It's funny how that, how a look took off. I know. And, it's weird. And if I remember right, you don't sing to the third verse or something? Um, no, I sing the third, the last verse. The last verse? The last three verses. But that's the thing everybody uh, like talked about was sort of the, and how good the song was. Which uh, brings me to um, my next question. Yeah, we're sort of doing it in order. Uh, yeah. Now, um, well, the myth about the Bangles was that everybody was sort of jealous that you sort of became the star. Now, I know John and Yoko, that's a myth. Yoko did not split up the Beatles. Yeah. Is that just a myth or is, there, or is that one of many reasons or is that... Um... No, I just, I think that the Bangles, um, I think there was always that thing. It's, it's probably the thing that you were talking about earlier. There's like different push and pull musically right. within it. Like it's either a little bit, there might be a polish in the harmonies but then the drums are really aggressive or the guitar is a little snarly or something and it's those elements coming together and i think you can see the personalities too you know we had kind of an interesting dynamic to begin with where we had sisters so you've got right a familial quality you know functional or dysfunctional did they fight a lot like the they didn't fight a lot but there would be no 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 was we were never like the you know uh no no i was thinking of um the Wonderwall guys. Oh, Oasis, yeah, yeah. Oasis, sorry. They're the worst of those. Liam brothers. and Noel. Yeah, that's it. Uh, we were never like bashing each other's heads in on stage <laughs> and coming to fisticuffs or whatever. Yeah. We were just 
there would just be this sort of feeling of, oh, and I'm not, I want to be linear here. So you have, back to what I started with, you have this sort of functional and dysfunctional qualities of a family. So that's what a band is. Yes. And you're thrust together in a marriage, in a family, and then you have real sisters who have their own dynamic, big sister, little sister. And then you have someone who's come into the band a little late, which was Michael Steele, because we had Annette Zelenskis at first. So she's sort of like the new family member. And then, you know, I'm sort of in the middle between the sisters and then... So it... There's a little bit of like sort of jockeying around for like, well, where's the comfort zone, you know? And we found it most of the time. But there's also another element that just makes that functional slash dysfunctional family dynamic even more complex, which is that we had four, we all sang, we all wrote, right, right. we all did everything. Which is really rare for a band. Which is really rare. So I think that... It's what makes it great, but it also is what makes it hard. Right. You know, challenging maybe. So, and then we never were in the driver's seat when you're on Columbia Records. They pick the singles. Right. They sort of, you know, it's not like now I just do, I make stuff and I just stick it out on the internet and hope someone finds it. (laughs) I'm not, there's no manager. I don't, you have manager. There's all these layers of people surrounding you and then you're on the road con- continuously and you know hotel room van right. car you know planes trains automobiles right. hotel rooms how do you keep a boyfriend through that how do you right. how do you you know you're getting worn down i mean it's it's not a glamorous life even though it seems like it is it's great to be able to play music every night but you just you sort of get worn down. So but that's I think, the best part when you're just on stage for an hour and a half. And you're on stage and it's everything else leading up to the stage where you're just pacing around by yourself in a, in a hotel lobby, lonely and, you know. And we didn't have the internet there. There was no Skyping. There was no FaceTiming. Right. There was no, right. you know, you felt kind of isolated even though we were together. So I just think that, and I'm not trying to go, oh, boo-hoo, it was so hard. It really wasn't hard. I'm just saying, I think after 10 years together of doing that, it just kind of was like, hey, maybe we should do something else. I guess it was 10 years, wasn't it? You know, it was like 10 solid years. Just I, about 9, 10 solid years. As a fan, years. it felt like it was too soon. But I yeah. guess the Beatles were together 10 years. I know. And you also, then, as I said, you put in management, other voices coming in. And I think we just had trouble saying, hey, we need a break. Like, we're all really burnt out. Right. Like, we want to stop. Well, wait, why are you stopping? You have a number one song. Well, because we're really tired and getting on each other's nerves. And we want to see... Our boyfriends are even be able to have a boyfriend stick around while we're on the road for nine months. You know what I mean? Right. Like we were lonely. We were all getting towards 30 or had just turned thir- turned 30. We were like, what do we do now? So I think it's just what happens. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, it totally makes sense. And it's uh, a lot of bands split up when they, they're number one. Yeah. So your first solo album, was that a lonely experience or was it a freeing experience or was it a little bit of both? Free and I would say a little bit of both. It was freeing, but it was also scary, and I felt a little bit, and I was still on Columbia, and I still had the sort of same producer and team in place. So looking back, I feel like I was just in a swirl of confusion with the Bangles thing. And you were so like suffering from um, post-traumatic stress? Exactly. Bruce McCullough has a theory. You split up with someone. I think he's totally wrong, but he may have a point that if you're... uh, for every year you've been with that person, it takes a year for you to get over it. Yeah, I and I didn't really like, have that year. So, so I think I was a little bit traumatized. And um, But yeah, it was, it was fun to just try to see what it's like to make a record and have different musicians and just, oh, wow, this is cool. You know, there's certain aspects of it that were freeing and um, a chance to experiment, whereas you weren't having to play by the same rules. Right. You know, when you're in a band... There are certain rules, whether they're unspoken rules or yeah, they were all unspoken rules. There was just kind of a, a way that we did it, a way that worked. Right. And, you know, I've spent more time in the Bengals than I have solo in a way because the Bengals then, you know, regrouped right. and have been working and work regularly. Oh, was it, what was it like writing songs without them? You, uh, well, the, the, the truth is we had all written songs without, with outside writers oh, during the, the Bangles. So you were used to that? Yes, yes. But um, did you miss their harmonies? Like, it must Oh, yeah, terribly. Yeah. 
I mean, there's a thing that happens when we just get in a room and play that's just a very specific thing. It, it, it's just, I, it's, right. it is what it is, and it's just thrilling to me. Every time I walk into rehearsal, I might be stuck in traffic for an hour and really grumpy when I get there, and then we just I plug in my Rickenbacker. Vicky plugs in her Les Paul. Debbie gets on the drums, <laughs> and we just play and start singing, and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, I have the best job in the world. This is so fun. I totally understand. Uh, we, I may do other TV shows that are great and stuff, but it's not the kids in the hall. And, and something, and I, it's you, a chemistry. You, you get more inspired by the people you have uh, chemistry with. Yeah. I was reading a lot of reviews of your solo albums. They're, all your albums get great reviews. Oh, thank you. Why is that? I didn't know that. I'm not I didn't angry. even know that because I'm, I'm so scared of reviews. Um, well, I don't they, they know, all, but that's uh, so nice. Multiple, Thanks. multiple great reviews. Oh the, wow! I, I didn't even know because I I don't I haven't what thought do you do? about it. Well, what is it? I don't know. I just I don't know. But that's good <laughs> news. I, I really. Much regards is true, and I didn't even read about the under the covers, which I know oh, I'll get great I reviews. Working with me. I love. I hope we can do a, a fourth one. I ran into Matthew Sweet at <gasps> an airport in Omaha, Nebraska. Because he's, he's moved from he, he California moved, there, yes. yeah, back to his uh, yeah. childhood. He was very happy. He just did the uh, the, the, the march against, uh, the women's march against Trump. He yes. Just, he just done that. Yes. So you keep in touch with Matthew Sweet. Oh, yeah. All right. We only want, I should ask the the best last question uh, because we have only one question left. Yeah. Come by quick. Gosh. Thank you very much for doing this. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Are you kidding? Oh, here's a good question. It's a good question for me. I'm so I'm super interested. How did um, uh, Ming T happen? Oh, uh, oh, oh! Tell my me that god. story. Oh my god. Okay, I was hoping you would might bring up Mike, and I just listened to your incredible uh, interview with Mike, oh, who I had just seen uh, in All April. Right. Um, so Ming T was well. Jay and I met Mike. I don't know when this was. I want to say ninety one or something. Yeah, ninety one. Um, and we just were fast friends. Oh, and I, I introduced Matthew Sweet to Mike because I came and sang at McCabe's Guitar oh. Shop in their great little... Because I knew they were friends, right? Room. Yeah, I introduced them. I had Mike come to see... A, uh, I was singing background harmony stuff at Matthew's show on a whim, and I said, oh, Mike, come see it. So then we all had this idea, Matthew, Mike, and me, to just jam, because what people don't know about Mike Myers is not only is he a brilliant comedian, he writer, was a drummer, wasn't he? He's a drummer and he's a songwriter. Right. A I guitar didn't player, he's a multi-instrumentalist, multi-talent. So we went over to Mike's and we just started jamming and writing songs. And I was trying to, I was revisiting this and I was listening to your podcast. One was called Salad Cream, which must be a very Canadian thing because I know it's a British thing and it's like yes, gross. It, yeah. Sorry. It is very Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, but we wrote, so then Mike was, um, it was even before Austin Powers. We started doing these shows as Ming T, which came out of this movie, The Tenth Victim, that was this Ursula Andress. Is that her name? Yeah, I want to get it right. Yeah, um, this cool uh, Italian spy movie that we were, all became obsessed with. That we had like a movie night at Mike's house and we watched it. And there's a thing about Ming T. Is a you'll have to watch the movie. I will. It's a very groovy '60s movie, I very will. dated I but promise, very groovy. I will. Please do. I, um, I I have to watch it again. So anyway, we decided to have a band, and then Christopher um, Ward Ward. Uh, one of your Canadian friends. I guess that because I know he's a good musician. That's a good friend of Mike. I just guessed that. Yes. So we, we did so a show at the Viper Room, I want to say, where we all wore beetle wigs and we all had names. And and he, Mike, in a sense, was workshopping Austin. That's what I was going to say. He was workshopping that's Austin. That's where it started. So that's where it started. I became, I, I had met in <laughs> in college. I've never, re there was a girl named Gillian Bagwell. Oh, what a great name. I know. I don't know where she is. She was in the drama when I, my first, when I was a freshman at Berkeley, I was in an acting class with a girl named Gillian Bagwell. And I said, I always loved that name. So and British. Mike said, you shall be Gillian Shagwell. Oh. He took, he riffed off of that name and, and it was great. And Ma Matthew was Sid Belvedere. Um, <laughs> and Matt, and I forget what Christopher's name, but they're all, you can find out the names. I didn't, it's I probably on Wikipedia. I will, For I will. all I know. I will. Ming team might have some info there so we workshopped and we mike really did most of the songwriting we just played a whole set and and then um then we ended up being kind of integrated a little into the movies and in the first austin we were at the end in the right. credit sequence and we recorded 
Wow. And we recorded, and I've always wanted to do uh, a Ming Tea revival. Oh, you should for sure. BBC One, you know, BBC. I just said that Daddy the, wasn't there. The one song I remember is BBC. And uh, I remember the, because Mike and I have known each other since we were teenagers. I remember he loved the Who. He was a mod. He had a little oh, like, mod yeah. jacket. Yeah. And, and is that sort of a Who song, BBC? Oh, yeah. I mean, Mike Mike was tapped into all that cool It's like a real cool song. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. The, the, and Daddy Wasn't There is cool, too. Yes. That's from the third movie, I think. That's why I remembered. It was in the movie. That's why I remembered. Okay, one last question. Yeah, one last question. You have a connection to comedy. Um, Mike Myers, Jay Roach. Um, Did you love comedy as a kid? I'm sorry, I'm pushing the comedy thing. No, I mean, I've always loved comedy. I've always loved movies. Um, And I think Jay, that was one thing that bonded me with Jay was like he was a film person and I was a music person and and we were able to in fact with Austin Powers my favorite movie was I'll be really quick because I this is kind of confusing but there was this great take your time. Um, movie called The President's Analyst oh yes that I was obsessed with James my, Coburn yes, yes. replaced the, bon- yes. the gong and it's like classic 60s and it was one of the movies that was kind of an influence for the style of, of Austin Powers oh. um, but yeah comedy um, oh my god and I was in bands with I was like the house band for Mike's Groundlings night that he did. Like, right. there's a connection between musicians and comedians. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't understand it. Every I love comedy. Every musician wants to be a comedian. Every comedian wants to be a musician. I. It's so weird. So but you never wanted to be a comedian. No, no. But I, I guess most of the comedy I had access to was through films, just through movies, wow. Woody Allen movies. You know, just movies growing up. Thank you very much, Susanna Hobbs. Uh, you, you can't see this, but I'm shaking her hand, thanking her. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, sorry for screaming, everybody. Wasn't that the greatest interview ever, even though I was in it? Thank you very much. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm. For more podcasts, please visit foreverdogproductions.com.